I was sweating profusely the first hour all over my podium, so I had to wipe it off. Take your Bibles and turn to Romans chapter 3. Romans chapter 3. I want to mention one thing to you, and then we're gonna we'll get into Romans. You can take your your hand out and look at that. And we'll we'll get into that in a moment. For gentlemen, or I didn't need that tooth anyway. Or if you're male, adult males, we've got a men's mission trip, September 28th, the week of September 28th. To uh, Ethnos 360, uh, Matt and Star Arnold, uh, one of our missionaries in the headquarters in Roach, Missouri. We've gone several times. We're going to take a men's trip the week of, of uh, September 28th. I don't know what I said, but it's the week of September 28th. And if you've never gone on one of those guys and, and you can take that time off and go, you, you will be just uh, blessed uh, beyond belief in being able to go and, and, and just physically do some work for People that we, we, you're giving, we support Matt and Star have for years and they're doing tremendous work down in uh, Morigami, Mexico, and then Roach, Missouri is where their headquarters is, and Matt's kind of the dude in charge. That's a, 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 a very much a spiritual title, the DIC, the dude in charge. So you, uh, if you can do that, and they like to, Chad is, is uh, back in the back, and Chad's kind of uh, heading this thing up. You can get, see him today or contact him, look at your schedule and see if you'd like to do that. But it's the week of September 28th. We're going to have a, a congregational meeting on the 27th. So you can spend that week uh, bending Chad's ear and other elders that might be on the trip and tell them what, everything they're doing wrong. So right there in the bus, they can't go anywhere. It's a captive audience. All right, turn to Romans 3. If you haven't already, I want you to look at the top of your handout. Obviously, we've been studying the attributes of God, and what we're looking at now, started looking at last week, when we look at this week, is that our God is righteous, and how important it is that we understand this, that who our daddy is. We've talked about so many attributes of, of our God, and as we focus now on the fact that he's righteous, another way of putting that is that God is just, or that God is fair. Uh, you'll hear people say all the time, well, the primary, if not the primary objection to our belief in, in uh, one true God and the person of Jesus Christ as our Savior is that it's not fair that God sends anybody to hell and that the wrath of God. Well, God doesn't do that. What God has done is provide the alternative where you can miss that. You can, you can be declared righteous in Christ. We talked about that aspect of it last week, that God is righteous and through the grace gift of what happened at Calvary, I can be declared righteous in Christ. That great verse that God, in 2 Corinthians 5, where God talked, the scripture tells us that he made him who knew no sin, Jesus, to be sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God, and the last two words are the most critical in that verse. The righteousness of God, that we all memorize it now, in him, in him, that there is no other place in all the universe that I can become right with God except through the person of Jesus Christ. Why is that important? Because it's God's standard to enter his presence, his perfection. Do you know anybody that's perfect? Surely your, your husband is, right? Or your wife is. This is an old joke I've told for many years, and I, those of you that are new, I expect you to laugh. 
So go ahead and laugh now and get it over with. And, or later on this afternoon, you can pull it out of your pocket and go, no, that was funny. All right, there's only two perfect people that have ever lived. Who's one of them? Jesus Christ. We all got that one, right? Who's the second one? That's right, the guy Mary was supposed to have married. See, later on you'll find that funny today. But maybe not right now. All right. So, why this is so beautiful is that God is saying to us, I'll take you, a sinner, an unrighteous being, one in rebellion against me, who has a debt you cannot pay. We're not going to execute last week just to set us up for this week. You have a debt that you owe, you can't pay. It's called your sin debt. No matter how much money you give to the church, you're not paying off that debt. No matter how much work you do for the church, you're not paying off that debt. No matter how much food you give away, and we give away a lot of food, and we turn off the lights, that you're not paying off that debt. You owe a debt you cannot pay, your sin debt. The wages of that sin, Romans 6.23, is death or eternal separation from God. That's what death means, not physical death, even though that's part of it. Eternal separation from God is death. The wages of sin is death. But, my favorite word in the Bible, but the gift of God, grace gift, the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So what God says is, yeah, you owe a debt. You can't pay it. I'll pay it for you. I'll pay it for you. I'll come down, Philippians 3, that amazing passage called the kenosis passage, the great self-emptying passage, where the Bible says Jesus, of his own volition, voluntarily chose to humble himself and become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Talked about it last week. God publicly displayed his just wrath on the back of Jesus Christ by having him scourged, by having him mocked, having him spit on, having him crucified publicly to say to you, I love you, and I'll pay your debt. And you simply have to come to me like the thief on the cross did, who deserved that punishment, by the way. And what did he say to Jesus? Lord, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom? In other words, can you save me? And what did Jesus say? I I just... Can you imagine in that moment, Jesus says to him, what? You're on your own, buddy? No. What'd he say? I got my own problems here. No. What'd he say? Today, you will be with me in paradise. Just mentally that picture before we get into this next part. That thief didn't get off the cross and give any money to the church. He didn't get off that cross and get baptized. He didn't get off that cross and do good deeds. He didn't get off that cross and give away everything he owned. He didn't own anything anyway. He didn't do anything except cry out to Jesus, the sin sacrifice, and ask for forgiveness. And what did Jesus say? You got it. That's how he was saved. That's how I was saved. That's how you were saved. That's how Abraham was saved. Moses Pick a person that's been saved, Adam and Eve, to right now. Everyone on motor debt, they couldn't pay. Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him as righteous. It was deputed to his account, charged to his account, righteous, because he had faith. Why is that so important? 
Because by human nature, by nature, and it's even taught from many pulpits, by nature we think I've got to do something to be right with God. I've got to do something. You even have religious organizations and, and denominations and groups that teach you can do that after you die physically. The Bible says the man wants to die, and after that, judgment. The wages of sin is death, eternal separation from God, but the gift of God is eternal life. So look at your handout. Last week we talked about, number one, God revealed this righteousness to us. So go to verse 21. Verse 21. But now, the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. We talked about last week, the but now, how theologians that we talked about this being the two greatest words in all scripture, because Romans 1, all the way up to this point, has been talking about every man is guilty before God, whether a Jew, whether a Gentile, whether a pagan, all are guilty before God. And have a sin debt to pay. And then he says, but now, here's the great news, the gospel, the good news. God has provided righteousness. We talked about last week that it was apart from the law. The fact you can't, no matter what, not, not just the Mosaic law, even though that's included in it, any law, any set of rules and regulations, any works that a man might come up with to declare himself or others righteous, and religious organizations have done this forever to manipulate and control people. They've said, you've got the Pharisees, perfect example. You've got to do this, 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 and this, and then you can be right with God. What Jesus said is, you can do all that if you want to, but that's not going to make you right with God. He told the Pharisees, you're going to hell. They couldn't have been any more religious. Nobody was more religious, ever has been more religious than those men were, and they were self-righteous. Jesus said, you're going to hell, and you're taking people with you. Because you lie to them. That's why the truth of Scripture is so important. The truth does what? You've heard me say it a million times. And at my funeral, we're all going to chant it, right? The truth will set you free. That's why it's so important we know the truth. By the way, Jesus said, I am the truth. We need to understand, not just know it. Experience it. Live it. So look at the next point he makes. No law will declare you righteous. So here's the right, verse 21, the righteousness of God is revealed, number one, apart from the law. That's last week. Today, it's revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The word revealed in the original language means to consistently demonstrate it. This is so important because what, what the Apostle Paul is doing here, why Martin Luther called Romans the constitution of our faith, he's tying together everything that God has ever revealed to mankind through a prophet, someone who wrote scripture, the law and the prophets. So he's saying it's being witnessed by the law and the prophets. The righteousness of God is revealed. The word revealed means consistently demonstrated. It's, a, <clears throat> it's been God's plan since forever. It's, it's God's eternal plan. It's been revealed since it started in the Garden of Eden when, when, when God said to, to uh, Satan that the seed of the woman will crush your head. God provided atonement. So it's pictured for us <clears throat> right there in the Garden of Eden. And then ultimately Jesus came and accomplished it through his death, burial, and resurrection. That's the good news. So it's consistently been demonstrated. It's God's eternal plan. It's always been the same. 
You'll hear people say, again, even in good churches, evangelical churches, churches that believe the Bible, will tell you that people in the Old Testament weren't saved the same way we were. You know what you need to say if someone says that to you? No. That's a biblical term. No. A, su- a southern biblical term, but a biblical term anyway. No. How was Abraham? We just, we just quoted it. Abraham was saved how? By faith. How was Moses saved? By faith. And so the law was given to reveal to us that we're sinners and that we need to be declared righteous or we need a Savior or we need to be saved or we have to trust God's provision. The Messiah to come in the Old Testament, for us, the Messiah that has come, his name being Jesus of Nazareth, who is the Christ or the Messiah. So God's consistent plan revealed. Quick example. The Abrahamic covenant the great covenant by which everything else flows in the Bible and in history, when God said to Abraham, I'm going to give you three great things, a land, a seed, and a blessing for all descendants. And God said to Abraham, here's what you need to do to get that, Abraham. You got to do this, 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 and then I'm going to give you all that. Is that what he said? Uh-uh. Abraham was asleep. When God did it, God said, I will, I will, I will. Abraham, you won't. I will. I will give you this. I will give you this. I will give you this. So what was Abraham's responsibility? Trust God. How did you get saved? Jesus came, died on the cross, was buried, rose again to conquer sin and death, Hebrews tells us. He conquered sin and death. We don't have to fear death anymore. Paul wrote it. The writer of Hebrews wrote it because Jesus did those things. So what we do then is trust that provision. Jesus said, come to me. If you labor and you're heavy laden, I'll give you rest. I'm going to draw you two men to me. Nobody will snatch you out of my hand. You're mine. You come to me. It's always been the same. I will. I will. God told Moses, you go tell Pharaoh, let my people go. Uh, and Moses said, Lord, you do know I'm, I'm, a, uh, 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 I'm a stutterer, right? And what was the whole point of that scenario? Moses wasn't going to do anything. Who was going to do it? God was. You tell Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world, he's about to let my people go, even though he doesn't know it. You tell him, Moses. You do, and you just tell the people, my name is I Am. When I tell you I'm going to do something, I Am. I will do it. I'm not going to let you down. I'm not going to let my people down. I'm not going to let anybody down. You just trust me. Now go tell him. Throughout history... Fulfilled, finally, permanently, visibly manifested and revealed at Calvary at the crucifixion, God, Jesus. That's why Jesus said, it is finished. This is it. This is what I told you I was going to do in the Garden of Eden. It is finished. This is what I told you I was going to do through the Mosaic Law and the Levitical priesthood, the sacrificial system. It is finished. That's why the temple, the curtain, the veil in the temple was torn in two. You didn't need a temple anymore. It is finished. I've done it. This that, that word it is finished means your debt, in Greek, means your debt is paid in full. It's done. You come unto me. In John chapter 5, Jesus said these words. You search the scriptures. That would be the Old Testament when he said these words. You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life. And these scriptures are they 
which testify of me. Scriptures. So he was saying to Jewish people, when he said those words, you search Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, all the law, all the prophets. You search those, the books of wisdom, search them all, and you believe they're about eternal life, and you are correct, and all those scriptures are talking about me. Because I am the I am. He said those words. For Abraham was, I am. The God of the Old Testament, that's me. The God who walked around with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the fiery furnace, that was me. Pictured for, um, when the serpent was lifted up in the pole and men looked at that and they were free and the lights went out, that was me. I, I am the light of the world. Not Randy, Jesus. I, I, I love how it ties scripture together and it ties history together. And what a great time for us to be believers and be Christians in, in a time when it's not fun, it's not cool, but we have truth that will set people free. The righteous, how can a man be right with God? The great question. So now it's being witnessed, back to verse 21, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. If you were a Jew, remember when Paul writes Romans, he's writing to both Jews and Gentiles. When Jews saw this being witnessed, in the mind of a Jew, according to the law, you verified something as being true when it had how many witnesses? Two or more. Notice what he says. The Holy Spirit leads Paul to write. Being witnessed by two witnesses. The law and the prophets. Now, this law is the law of Moses. The other law we talked about last week was any law. This is the law of Moses. All the pictures in the law... But the gospel, we won't go through all those, but particularly the Levitical priesthood and the sacrificial system, the Passover lamb. Paul even writes to the church at Corinth, Jesus is our Passover. He is our Passover lamb. Christ is our mercy seat, the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, Paul wrote. So in the Levitical priesthood, how you approach God with the tabernacle and the temple and the Day of Atonement and all the festivals, Passover, Pentecost, day, uh, unleavened bread, on and on. All of those were a picture of Jesus Christ. So then he says, it's also, it was witnessed by the law and the prophets. Again, you, you pick a prophet, whether it's a major prophet, a minor prophet, a prophet that's in the books, in the history books, the historical books. Those prophets were all giving information that was leading up to the coming of the Messiah, Jesus of Nazareth, for example, Bethlehem being talked about in Micah. And on and on, little in Isaiah 52, I mean, the, uh, in Psalm 22, uh, all the different places where it's pictured, even the crucifixion being described, to being described of the physical, what it would literally physically do to a human body. And this was like 1,500 years before crucifixion was ever invented. So he's saying it's witnessed by the law, all the writings of Moses and the prophets, those two witnesses. But this is also something that's really cool in Jewish culture. When you said the little phrase, the law and the prophets, to a Jew, that meant all scripture. It was a euphemism for all scripture. What we would call Genesis through Malachi. They just called it the scriptures or, quote, the law and the prophets. So it would include Psalms and Proverbs and Solomon and Ecclesiastes and, and the other books, the historical books. So, to, so here's what Paul 
to the church at Rome under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is saying God's righteousness has been consistently revealed from the, from the writings of Moses all the way through Malachi. Consistently, God's been revealing his righteousness and that it's apart from any law. So what's the next thing he says? Verse 22. So if it's apart from any law, with any law found in Genesis all the way through Malachi or any other man-made law, how then is it revealed? Even verse 22, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. So, he, so now he answers his own question that he's brought up in the minds of his readers. Okay, it's not by the law of Moses. It's not by works. It's not by any man-made law. Well, how am I going to be right with God then? So he answers that question in verse 22. And this is the way, the style in which Paul writes. So verse 22, he says, here's how you're made right with God. Through faith in Jesus Christ. Through faith in Jesus who is the Messiah. What did Jesus say in John 14, 6? One of the most quoted verses in evangelicalism. What did he say? I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes where? To the Father, but by me. I am the way, the truth, and life. I am the way, the Father, the truth. Because I'm the life. You want to see the Father? You've got to come to me. I am in relation. I am the door. John, over and over. I am the bread. I am the truth. I am the life. I am the light. Oh, no. So you're saying, you can't be right by anything you do. So what you have to do is by faith. You come to Jesus Christ. Through faith in Christ. The person of Christ. This is so important. You might know what John 1.12 says. Quickly look at us. Uh, 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 I know he's got that. Uh, uh, when we do Bible drills, you're the first one to get it. Run up here and you get $20. Type in the name quick. He said he gave the right to those who believe he gave the right or the privilege or the authority to become children of God. In other words, you were entered into God's family through faith in the word. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God on down in that passage. Okay, he said he came into his own, 111, his own received him not. But those who did receive him by faith, he gave the right or the privilege, the authority to become children of God. I sure hope you understand and I hate to beat this horse over and over, but some, somebody needs to beat it. I hope, if nothing else, in this struggle and all that's going on, whether it's uh, all the politics and stuff that goes on, or the coronavirus, and some of you are facing very horrible, difficult times in your life, the one thing you need to keep coming back to in your prayer life, and I bet your prayer life is more intense than it's ever been, is that you are a child of God if you have faith in Jesus Christ. You're his little boy. You're his little girl, even if you're 66 years old. You're his little boy. And nobody can take that away from you. Nobody can ever change that. And if nothing else, you could just sit there, and I find myself doing this a lot in my office at home as I'm studying scripture, just sit there and revel in the fact that God deemed me worthy of his grace and saved me. It's just, I get overwhelmed at times emotionally. Just I just stop. I'm reading a book right now, and if you've never read the story of this lady's life, and I know I've mentioned it before, but I just started reading it again because I'm, she's one of my heroes, and it's Corey Ten Boom. I read The Hiding Place years ago, and if you've never read The Hiding Place, you need to read it. But you also need to be ready to get on your knees and beg God to forgive you for some things as you read it. The Hiding Place. But I'm reading a book right now about 
about her, not the hiding place, but another book about people that she had encountered in her life and their responses. They're, they're like interviews and how they respect them, how she, what she meant to them. And I think, in a selfish way, obviously I wanted to be selfish, but I think, well, I sure hope people, I could just have some kind of impact on people's lives like this sweet lady did. Just a powerful impact. In a German concentration camp, it's a 50-year-old woman loving and witnessing to people who put her in solitary confinement for four months. Just incredible. And, she, and everything you would see, and she would say to people, remember Jesus is our victor, and things like that. Rest in him. As hard as it is, and I know it's hard at times. I do. And I love you guys. I want you to keep coming back to, through faith in Jesus Christ, you are declared righteous, you are adopted, New Testament term, you are adopted into the family of God, you're his child, and you always will be. And by the way, the day you die is the best day of your life. Absent from the body, present with the Lord, live with Christ, to die is gain, on and on. So he says to them, through faith in Jesus Christ, and notice the way he puts it, not faith in all the things that Jesus did, even though they were great, they were incredible. Not faith in what Jesus taught, even though it was incredible. Faith in what? The person of Jesus who is the Christ. The fact that God himself would do what he did for you, you place your faith in his work at the cross, not in your own work. And you become a child of God. The literal translation of this in the original language is like this. We're justified or declared right with God when the righteousness of God is applied to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Paul in Acts chapter, excuse me, Acts chapter 4 says this. There's not salvation in any other. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. That it's always been that way. That great book, Hebrews, that you're reading through there, you come to chapter 11, and it's that great, what we call the Hall of Faith, and it's listing, it talks about Abraham and different people, and a bunch of them, it doesn't even mention them by name, great souls from the Old Testament era, what they did for the cause of the kingdom, and it says this about them from Hebrews 11. These people all died in faith not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. They were assured of them. They embraced them, and they confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. End quote. That they didn't, many of them never saw Canaan. But they didn't see the eternal land until they died. But they embraced it. They confessed or agreed that it's true. They, they knew eternal perspective on all that they faced. If you read Hebrews 11, talking about getting cut in half and chopped up and, and slaughtered, and they all died, quote, in faith. That was what was important to them. Colossians, Paul wrote these words to the church at Colossae. Jesus is the image of the invisible God, for by him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth. All things were created through him and for him, before all things, and him, in him all things hold together. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He was God. 
in the flesh, the incarnation. Barbara, back to your handout. Back to verse 22. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. For there is no difference. So important. This He's been talking about it again leading up to this. All the Jews are guilty. All the Gentiles are guilty. And that includes everybody. And here's what he's saying. There's no difference. Look at verse 22 again. There is no difference, verse 23, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We all have the same affliction. There's no difference. Doesn't matter how much money you have, how good looking you are, what power you have, who you know. As someone has aptly said at the foot of the cross, it's a level ground. We're all on the same plane. We all have a sin problem, a sin nature, and you can't buy your way out of it. You can't influence your way out of it. For all have sinned. Verse 23, again, one of the most famous verses in the Bible, and fall short of the glory of God. What does that mean? We've all quoted it forever. Fall short of the glory of God. Man exists, the chief end of man is to glorify God. He created us to glorify him or give a correct estimate of what he's worth. And he said all of us have fallen short of that in our own human effort. Great man that, that mentored me for many years by video. And you've heard me talk about Wayne Barber and how much I admired him and loved him. And he tells his story to illustrate this point. He said, let's just say six or seven of us guys, we all, instead of going to Roach, Missouri, we go down to the Florida Keys and we decide, and we take some athletic looking guys, you know, big, strong guys. We go down to the athletic Keys go down to the Florida Keys, and we're going to jump from there to Cuba. Jump. How far is it from Florida Keys to Cuba? About 90 miles. So, okay, we're going to jump. All right. Some people go jump further than Randy. Randy ain't going to jump very far at all. Young people, young man like Cameron, he goes jump a whole lot further than Randy because he skates and he's actually like he's young. Chad's going to jump further than me. And I'm going to Peter's going to jump further than me. I'll probably jump further than Darren. I don't know. Maybe not. I jump further than somebody. Maybe. But here's the point. Let's say Cameron jumps further than all of us. Let's say he jumps 25 miles. That's a nice young man in prison. He jumps 25 miles. What was the goal? 90. The goal was Cuba. Did he make it? No. Yeah, he jumped 45. That's pretty good. We're all impressed. I jumped four inches. He jumped 45 miles. But we brought him back to shore, and he's gasping and trying to breathe. And you ask him, did you make it? What would be his answer? No. That's falling short of the glory of God. No matter how good you are at jumping, you can't reach it. The most, the greatest person, I'm thinking about Corey Ten Boom and that great testimony, as godly a woman as she was, she'd be the first to tell you, it's only because of Christ in me. It's not me. It's not me. We can all jump. None of us are going to reach Cuba because it's not possible by human jumping effort. So back to verse 22 and 23. We all fall short of the glory of God, giving that correct opinion of who God is. We all have the problem of sin, the fundamental aspect of our nature. It's, and I've talked about this before, but I want to hit this and we have one more point today. What separates you from God and keeps you from jumping to Cuba is not that you're not, that you do bad things. Cameron, even though he jumped 45 miles, he still commits sins, right? I commit sins. Maybe I commit more sins than he does so he can jump 45 miles because I'm not in the physical shape he is because of my sins. We'll use that as an example. But that's not our problem 
Our problem is by nature, we're not capable of jumping 90 miles. No matter how great a shape you're in. So our problem as human beings is not that we commit individual sins. Not that I'm a liar or that I steal or that I, ha- that I commit adultery or that I think about those things that Jesus said you're guilty if you just think about them. It's not the individual sins that I commit. What keeps me separated from God? It's that I am a sinner. What does a sinner do? It, he or she commits sins. Why? Because that's who you are. The Bible talks about it. It says, what does a dog do? I know you're going to eat lunch here in a little while. I hate to mess that up for you. But what does a dog do? A dog returns to its vomit. Why? Because it's a dog. You don't return to your vomit. I hope. But why? Because you got more sense than that dog. But you still have a problem. You're a sinner. So what are you going to do if you're a sinner? You're going to commit sins. You don't even know some of them you commit. That's why trying to confess every single sin and get it to be forgiven is impossible. You can't do that. It's impossible. You ever had a bad attitude and found, didn't, didn't know you had that bad attitude? That's a sin. The Bible says anything you do that's not of faith is a sin. Uh-oh. Some of you are guilty right now. Even as you sit here. And that's the point. Is that God wants us to understand that was the whole purpose of the law. Oh, my God. Lord, have mercy on me. I, I, I can't make it. I can't jump to Cuba. And what does God say? Okay, I'll pick you up and put you there. I'll pick you up and set you there. Because you can't make it. I'll do it for you. You've got to understand that principle. We don't share the gospel with people because they're a guy's a murderer. Why do we share the gospel with a murderer? Because he's a sinner who happened to commit murder. Yes, that's worse. And from a societal perspective, obviously those consequences are worse than my consequence of a bad attitude and being a poor husband at times. But the point is, we're both sinners. What we've done in the evangelical church, unfortunately, in the 20th and the 21st century, is we like to pick certain sins and make them, ooh, sins. That's what they love to ooh, sins. That's all, at least I'm not as bad as that guy. Doesn't matter, does it? Doesn't matter. Because we're all sinners. We just commit different sins. And that's the beauty of the cross. It's the beauty of the gospel. Notice again, verse 23. I'm not going to say it, because watching. How many people sin according to verse 23? All. Just quickly, who's that about? Nobody. Nobody. All have sin. And all have fallen short. Nobody should be Cuba. So fundamentally, you know what sin is fundamentally? Think back to the Garden of Eden when sin began, original sin. What did Satan convince Adam and Eve that caused them to sin? That they knew better than God what the fruit was all about. That they knew better than God. God had said, don't eat that. And they figured out, you know... He's he just wrong on that one. I'm going to eat that. Because it was about me. The essence of all sin is pride. God may have said, but I know better. That's exactly what Satan convinced them. It's the great lie, which we still buy into to this day. What God says, because of that, you're separated from me. And you fall short. But I will declare you let me tell you how. I'm going to demonstrate it for you. Number two on your handout. We're going to hit this and then we're going to be done. Verse 24, 25, and 26. I'm going to read those. It's a summary of the price God paid. We're all short now, verse 24. And I'm not talking about a hike, Cameron. I didn't mean to. Okay. That was, that was, see, that was wrong. I just wanted to illustrate sin for you so you understand. All right, verse 24. 
being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in where? Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance God had passed over the sins that were previously committed. There's a lot in that, and we're going to deal in that detail next week. Verse 26, to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier. That's such a cool phrase. In Jesus. So the summary idea, here's what God is saying. Here's the price that I, God himself will come and die for you, the perfect sacrifice. Our righteousness is as filthy rags, all of it. The standard is perfection. How many of you are perfect again? None of you. Nobody. So the standard is perfection. Your own righteousness is filthy rags. You're not going to be perfect. So what does God do? He sends a propitiation. He demonstrates his righteousness for us by having Jesus die on the cross. He was the just and the justifier. And we're going to deal with that in detail next week. But I want you to see one thing in verse 24 and then we're going to quit today. Justified freely by God's grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace. It's all about grace. Justified freely. You don't even have to be able to understand Greek to get that. What does free mean? Take a shot. What does free mean? Free. And you don't pay for it. He paid for it. It's a legal term that means you're acquitted. The stand for the judge and the judge declares you acquitted, just like it didn't happen. Justified. You're declared righteous. It's a one-time event. Happens justified. It's a declaration by God that his demands have been met in this case. That's why, again, why Jesus said it is finished. All the demands are met. Everybody knows what, how you define grace. It's unmerited favor. It's God giving you something you don't deserve. Acronym, God's riches at Christ's expense. He paid it and he gave all to you. What's Ephesians 2 say? Everybody knows the passage. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This not at your own doing. It's a gift of God. Not a result of works. Just anyone should boast. Paul said, I don't set aside the grace of God. For if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. If I can buy my way to heaven, why did Jesus have to die for me? We'll share this one quote with you and we're going to stop today. I've shared it before, but it's very apropos for this particular moment. There was a great conference of theologians years ago. They were all sitting around during the break. They were just all sitting around like preachers would do, looking important, thinking they were important, talking about something deep, talking about what sets Christianity apart from every other religion. If religion, why is Christianity unique? Why is it the only way? They're all sitting around talking about it. C.S. Lewis walked in the room. No. C.S. Lewis walked in the room. He said, What are talking about? That's the way he talked. What are y'all talking about? He said, We're talking about what makes Christianity unique. And without stopping, he just continued to walk. He said, Oh, that's easy. Grace. And just get walking. And that, if, you, if you study comparative religions, you'll understand. Or just talk to people. Even to go to church. We've said this a million times. Even people who go to church, ask them, do you die today or are you going to heaven? They're going to say what? I hope so. Grace is, yes, I am. Why? Because I stand right with God in Christ. I don't deserve it, but my daddy gave it to me. I hope that makes you emotional like it does me. I hope it motivates you to love people who hate you because Jesus died for them too. I hope it energizes you to live out your faith and be excited about who your God is because that's the reason you're on the planet, to glorify him. You were falling short 
until you by faith trusted Christ and now you have the privilege of glorifying God. Even in the bad, even in the bad, you get a chance to glorify God. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we close our time together today, we just, first of all, want to thank you for grace. That you gave us everything when we deserved wrath. You gave Jesus the wrath and gave us righteousness through him. What an amazing, the gospel really is good news. You can be right with God. You, a sinner, can be right with the holy God through Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father. For those of us who are born again, your children, make us excited about that. Prompt us again. Prick our souls. Convict our hearts to lovingly tell people about that. Because everybody believes something. We need to tell them what we believe and why. What's the difference in what we believe and what they believe? Because they're believing in some type of work. We're believing in grace. Share. Give us the opportunities to share it. Prompt us to take those opportunities to understand that you are righteous, you're just, you're fair, and you punish Jesus so we don't have to be punished. We're grateful, Lord. We're humble. We just pray you'd use us to glorify you. We pray in Jesus' name.